0: I'm still going with the Christmas slide, even though it's the day after. Uh, Feeling feeling very Christmassy still, and uh, just so glad to continue to celebrate this uh, great holiday with you. And so uh, today uh, we are going to be uh, studying a sermon that I'm calling, More Reasons Jesus Said He Came. Uh, So we've been talking about them for uh, the past four weeks, and I have a little work left to do. So uh, let's pray before we get into the word. Lord God, we just thank you for this time together, for your, for your precious word, Lord, for your, for your son uh, who spoke throughout the Gospels about the reasons he said he came, Lord. And uh, so as we uh, think about this uh, today, Lord, I just pray that uh, you'll fill our hearts with uh, the love of Jesus and, Lord, that our lives would be changed. And we just thank you in his precious name. Amen. Well, it was August 16th, 1999. <laughs> Somebody's thinking about that date, remembering that date. I was installing a ceiling fan in the nursery that would become Allison's bedroom uh, after she was born. Uh, And there were parts all over the place. It was my first ceiling fan installation. Uh, Know nothing about electric, uh, decided to give this a go. Uh, So uh, what happened then was that in the middle of that project, Molly went into labor uh, while the ceiling fan was strewn all about the room. And she didn't tell me because Uh, She didn't want me to leave that job incomplete (laughs) with parts all over the room. So she's having contractions in the next room while I'm installing a ceiling fan in the room over. Uh, And finally, when uh, the ceiling fan was finished, she said, hee hoo, and uh, it's time to go, or something like that. (laughs) We gotta go. So uh, she didn't like uh, the job incomplete and I don't blame her. I don't like incomplete jobs either. So uh, to me, the job is done when the tools are put away and the workspace is clean and the thing that I've installed is functioning. Uh, and so that's when the job is complete. And so. In our Advent series, I've given us four reasons that Jesus said he came, uh, and we tied each one of them to the Advent theme for the week. But I feel like my, my Advent series job is not yet done yet because I'm leaving so many reasons out there on the table that we haven't discussed yet that Jesus said he came. And so I don't want to leave this series without at least touching on some of them. So that's what we're going to do today. So we said in week one that our Advent theme was hope. Uh, from Luke chapter 19 verse 10, uh, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, "I came to seek and save that which is lost." And that gave Zacchaeus hope. He was a tax collector, had plenty of money, but didn't have the Lord, and now he had the Lord. So he had hope. Uh, week two was peace in Jesus. In uh, Mark 10:45, Jesus said, "I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many." Uh, And so uh, when we have an attitude of service, uh, rather than uh, an attitude of supremacy and superiority, we can have peace with God first, peace with others, and peace with ourselves. Our third week's theme was joy, John 10, 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And we said that a synonym for the abundant life is joy. Uh, We can have this abundant life, uh, no matter what happens in the world, knowing that we are gods and we are safe in Jesus's hands. And then last week, our theme was love, John 12, 27. Now my soul has become troubled. And what am I to say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. And this hour, what he meant by this hour was uh, his coming death and uh, burial and resurrection and ascension. Uh, and so I'm going to give you seven more reasons this morning why Jesus said he came. And I hope that by the time we're done today, uh, we'll have a fully formed picture of the reasons that Jesus said that he came. Uh, I could do a much longer series on on what some of the other New Testament authors said were the reasons Jesus came, but we're focusing on Jesus' own words, the things he said with his own mouth about the reasons why he came. So uh, for today, the first reason is going to be this, to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the passage that I just read to you. So Jesus always submitted to the will of the Father. And he said that the reason that he came was to do the Father's will, not his own will, but his Father's will. Now, that's not to say that there's conflict between Jesus's will and the Father's will. Uh, Together, they plan for Jesus's coming in eternity past uh, so long ago. And I don't think that our puny minds can possibly fathom what it means for Jesus to be a 100% God and 100% man uh, at the same time. I mean, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. Uh, But the human side of Jesus sometimes did not necessarily want uh, to go through what the human side of Jesus would have to go through, which is death on a cross. And so he might have preferred to skip that part. And I can't say that I blame him for that. But Uh, He knew why he came. He knew why he had had come to earth, and he had a purpose to fulfill in coming. Uh, In his humanity, he asked for the cup to pass him. Father, is there any other way? Uh, But then he remembered, no, there is no other way. Uh, I have to do this. I have to go through this. It is for this reason I came. And so that's what he said last week when we were looking at that purpose statement. It's for, the very, this, for this very reason I came uh, for this hour. Uh, and so in Jesus's most uh, excruciating moments of, of despair and anguish, he still submitted to his Father's will. So in this passage here in John 6, uh, Jesus submits to the Father's will. He does the will of him who sent me. Now, I count in this passage three wills of the Father here. And so Jesus said he came to do the will of the one who sent me, and then in here he says three wills of the Father. So I'm calling these three bonus reasons that Jesus said he came, uh, in addition to the ones that we're going to be talking about. Uh, There are three reasons embedded here that Jesus said he came, and the first one is this. He says that of all he has given me, I lose nothing. So this is God's election of his people, of his saints. And so what he's talking about here is that God chooses those who are his and he draws those people to himself and they believe the gospel and they are saved and God will preserve them. He, they will persevere in their faith to the end because God has chosen them. And for those who place their faith in Jesus, Jesus, uh, Jesus will never lose them. And so that's the human side of it. And Jesus will keep them and protect them as well. So that's the first uh, kind of bonus reason that uh, all he has given me, I lose nothing. Second one is this, but he will raise it up on the last day you know, Jesus is coming again, right? This is our great hope. This is what we're celebrating, not only on Easter, but we celebrate this on Christmas too. Uh, Jesus came not just to live, die, uh, be buried, be raised again, but he said, I am coming again. And that is the hope of our Christian walk. And so he could return at any moment. And whatever day that is, that is the last day. It's the day of judgment when he will raise up uh, those who have believed in him. So he will raise it up on the last day day. And the last little mini reason here is that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. So this is also the will of the Father, that everyone who believes will have eternal life. So Jesus knows uh, our human condition, uh, and belief in Jesus means that we acknowledge our human condition as well, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and we ask for forgiveness, uh, and we place our faith in Jesus, and we have this salvation And the moment we do this, we have eternal life. And John 17, 3 says that eternal life means knowing God and Jesus whom he sent. So we know Jesus. You and I know Jesus. We have a relationship with him because he has saved us. Uh, We know him in the here and now because we have trusted him for our salvation. And we know God because just as Jesus said in John 14, he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So if you know Jesus, you also know the Father. And so we know them now, but we'll know them with even greater intimacy uh, when we spend eternity together with them. We'll have all eternity to get to know Jesus and a God better. And so here's our first purpose. Number one, to do the will of the Father. Uh, The will of the Father is that Jesus lose none of his elect, uh, which is us, of course, if we believe, and that he will raise us up on the last day to eternal life with him. So Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Another purpose that Jesus said he came was to preach. This is Mark chapter 1. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house, and he went away to a secluded place, and he prayed there for a time. Simon and his companions eagerly searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there, for this is why I came. And he went into their synagogues, preaching throughout Galilee, and casting out the demons." So we sure think of a lot of different things that Jesus was when he came, right? I mean, he was a healer, for one thing, uh, and he was a comforter. He was a friend. He was a teacher. Uh, He was all kinds of things, but primarily he was a preacher. He came to preach the good news of salvation to people who desperately needed to hear it. And he performed lots of miracles, of course, but he performed the miracles in order, in order to authenticate who he said he was. He said he was the Messiah, and so the miracles backed up the teaching. And Jesus, when he spoke these words early in Mark 1, he was in his uh, adopted hometown of Capernaum. If you go there today, uh, you can see this sign uh, sitting on a a gate there. You can walk into the town of Capernaum uh, where Jesus uh, spent uh, a lot of his his ministry up there uh, when he was in Galilee. And in Capernaum, there is this synagogue there. Uh, That is probably a second century synagogue, but you can see the first century foundation beneath it. And that may be where Jesus spent a lot of time preaching uh, in this town of Capernaum. And so he's preaching there. The people are looking for him uh, and, and they wanted him to stay there. Of course, if you have this man who's doing miracles and healings, you don't want him to go anywhere else. But Jesus said, I didn't come just to one town. I came to the whole world. And so let's go to somewhere else. Let's go to other towns so that we might preach there as well. And so he went all around this area of Galilee. That's Capernaum up in the top part of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, But he traveled all around the Sea of Galilee and all around the surrounding areas. Uh, And then later throughout Judea and even Samaria to preach the good news because he said that was why he came. And Jesus preached as an example to us as well. I mean, obviously he wants us to be saved, uh, but he also wants us to be his witnesses. We are to witness to others as well. And so, when Jesus gave his great commission at the end of Matthew's gospel, saying, Go therefore and teach and baptize others, he was commanding us to be his witnesses throughout the areas in which we live. And that means that we, you and I, must also preach. Now, there are different kinds of preaching. Like, I, I would characterize my preaching ministry as a, a preaching ministry of encouragement. Uh, and, and that's because you already believe, for the most part, you're all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ already. I don't think I need to convince anybody here uh, that you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Uh, I think you already believe that, but, but you know life can be hard. Life can be difficult. We all go through hard things, and so sometimes my job is to just stand up here and to remind you over and over and over again of what the gospel is and of the hope that we have in Jesus, and that's why I repeat the gospel to you every week uh, so that you will have hope and have encouragement, uh, even though I know you already know it and believe it. So that's kind of an encouragement ministry. I think that's, that's my kind of preaching ministry. Uh, but there's evangelistic preaching as well. And, and that's sharing the gospel with people who don't yet know it and who need to know it if they're going to be saved and spend eternity with Jesus. And, and Jesus calls each one of us to that kind of me- ministry, that kind of preaching, even if it's not in front of a crowd like I'm doing now. In fact, most of Jesus' preaching happened one-on-one, right? He preached to the woman at the well, one-on-one to the demon-possessed man, uh, to the man born blind. And he preached, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, too, he preached to the masses. But he, he preached one-on-one oftentimes. And, and so wh- however God calls us, whatever ministry, whatever circle of influence he's given us, it may often be in a one-on-one context where we have the opportunity to speak to someone. And we should always be thinking about preaching the good news to people. Because how will anyone believe if they don't hear? And how will they hear if no one is sent? And how will they someone be sent if someone isn't taught the good news and so they're able to preach So uh, we need to be uh, equipped to preach, just like Jesus came to preach. He wants us to preach as well. So that's another reason Jesus came. Here's another reason, to fulfill the law. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, do not presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass from the law, until all is accomplished. You know, Jesus probably seemed like a lawbreaker to a lot of the people that he came in contact with in the early first century, right? Uh, by the time he had even preached the Sermon on the Mount, which is early in his ministry, he had already uh, healed on the Sabbath, had his uh, disciples pluck grains of, of uh, wheat on the Sabbath. He had already chased uh, the, the money changers out of the temple for the first time. Uh, so, you know, who is this guy? You know, he's, he's causing ruckus wherever he goes, right, and, and creating a stir. But on the other hand, he's doing these amazing and compassionate miracles, uh, healing people of their diseases. And so, you know, the common people are asking, who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? Is he, is he for the law? Is he against the law? Is he, he says he's Jewish. He seems to be Jewish. But then he seems to be against what the scribes and Pharisees teach. And so that's what they wanted to know from Jesus. Are you for the law or, or for you against it? And, and Jesus said, I'm very much in favor of the law, but just not how you people understand it. Uh, Because they thought that keeping the law and and perfect keeping of the sacrificial system uh, would would get them into heaven. Uh, So they were practicing these outward symbols of devotion to the law. And meanwhile, their hearts were not right. And Jesus said, you all need to change your hearts and, and recognize that the entire sacrificial system points to me. Uh, Jesus said that he would be the one to serve as the final and perfect sacrifice, fulfilling the sacrificial system by his atoning death on the cross. And so the ceremonies, the sacrifices, uh, and all of the other elements of the old covenant, they were fulfilled by Jesus. And as Hebrews 10.1 says, they were only a shadow of the good things that are coming and not the reality themselves. So Jesus was not against the law, he came to fulfill the law becoming the final sacrifice for sin. He also came to fulfill the prophets. Uh, We've talked uh, in the Advent series leading up to uh, Christmas that Micah prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So that's one fulfillment. Uh, David prophesied that the body of the Holy One would not undergo decay. Uh, That's Psalm 16 and and that's fulfilled by him coming out of the grave uh, alive. But the most prophetic passage probably about uh, Jesus in the entire Old Testament is from Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. So Jesus said the reason he came was to fulfill the law, to fulfill the prophets. And that meant death on a cross for him. So Jesus taught that instead of trying to get to heaven on your own merit and by your own good works, by perfect obedience to the law, we get there by faith in Jesus. His sinless life qualified him to be the sacrifice that God demands for sin. And so Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets as only God can. Sinful humans cannot fulfill the law and the prophets. And God doesn't expect us to anymore. He just expects us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So Jesus came uh, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it on on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to, so that by faith in him, uh, we get his perfect fulfillment of the law and the prophets uh, imputed to us. Now, another reason Jesus came was to testify to the truth. John 18, 37, Jesus answered Pilate, For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So Jesus is before Pilate. Uh, The Jews had charged him with sedition against the Roman Empire, and they brought Jesus to Pilate so that uh, Pilate would sentence Jesus to death, since the Jews didn't have the power to impose the death sentence. They needed Pilate to impose the death sentence on Jesus. And Pilate was in a real pickle. Uh, He knew that Jesus was innocent, but, but Pilate had run afoul of Rome before by un- unnecessarily antagonizing the Jews and creating a chaos and confusion in Jerusalem. Uh, and that got him in trouble with Rome. Rome wanted peace. That's all they wanted was for there to be peace. And so uh, Pilate couldn't risk making Rome angry by uh, neglecting or ignoring somebody who could potentially be a threat uh, to the empire. And so Pilate asked Jesus if he was a king. Now, Jesus knew that if he said yes, Pilate could easily interpret that as treason and then he would suffer execution as a result for being a traitor or treasonous against the empire. And yet Jesus told the truth. He said, yes, uh, you say correctly, I am a king. So even with his life on the line, Jesus told the truth because this was why he came. He didn't mean that he was an earthly king, of course. He meant that he presided over a kingdom of truth, uh, the heavenly kingdom where God lives. And so everything that Jesus said was the truth. But more importantly than that, Jesus himself is the truth. He is truth personified. That's why he said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus is God, that he was born as a helpless baby, that he lived a sinless, perfect life, that he died on a Roman cross uh, for our sins and in our place, and then he rose from the dead. And there's only one way to get to heaven, and that is to believe the truth. And so there are many false teachers out there offering false ways to heaven, and there are many false religions out there offering up false gods, uh, and these are all distractions from the truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus called them all thieves and robbers in uh, the parable of the good shepherd in John chapter 10. So Jesus is the truth. Now, uh, that does not go over well in our postmodern society, right? Because our postmodern society doesn't believe that there is any such thing as absolute truth. So when you uh, read Pilate's answer to Jesus, he says, after Jesus says, uh, I am truth uh, for this world, reason I have come into the world uh, to testify to the truth, Pilate says, what is truth? right? And that's a very postmodern answer. Even though it happened 2,000 years ago, that's the kind of thing that a postmodernist would say, as though there is no such thing as absolute truth. Well, Jesus said exactly the opposite. He said, there is truth, and I'm it. I am the truth. And so uh, Jesus said in John 8, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So when we know Jesus, when we know the way and the truth and the life, uh, he sets us free from the penalty of death that we owe for our sins, and he gives us eternal life with him. And Jesus said that everyone who is of the truth will hear his voice. So Jesus came to testify to the truth, that he is the truth. Now, Jesus also came to save the world. This is John 12, 47. If anyone hears my teachings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, we have to take these next two purposes together because they're, they seemingly are contradictory, right? Uh, because he says here, I did not come to judge the world. And then in John 9, 39 through 41, he says, for judgment, I came into this world. So, well, which is it? Uh, so let's try to resolve the conflict, starting with John twelve forty-seven. Jesus' primary purpose in coming is to save the world, right? That's why he came. Uh, But the corollary is that he will judge those who do not receive the salvation that he offers. So the way I look at this is that Jesus' invitation to us is universal. His purpose, the reason he came, is to save people from their sins. And he explained that anyone who believes in him will be saved. In fact, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So when we consider why Jesus came, we would never say that God came so he could judge sinners, right? We would never say that. No, he, he came to save sinners. That was why he came. John three seventeen proves the point. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. So... It should have been us on the cross, right? It should have been you and it should have been me for our sins. Uh, But the purpose of his coming, his unfathomable love displayed on the cross is that he took our place. He stood in for us. Uh, And so God loves us so much that he gave his only son. And that's what Jesus meant when he said that he didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. So his primary purpose is to save and not to judge. And so for you and me, we can't be neutral about Jesus. There are only two choices, and each has eternal consequences. We either choose to believe in him or we don't. Uh, There's a famous line from the the rock band Rush. Anyone? Rock band Rush uh, that goes like this. Nobody blank faces. There's one. (laughs) There's one. Uh, Neil Peart, the drummer for Rush, wrote this uh, famous lyric, which is quite amazing, actually, and and quite profound. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice, right? So you have to decide, and and choosing not to decide, putting off a decision until sometime later, is choosing not to make a choice, right? And so you're choosing by not choosing, that you don't want Jesus. So we all have to decide. We have to make a decision to follow him and be saved, and so that's his primary purpose. But now the corollary in John 9:39 to 41, Jesus will judge those who will not receive the free gift of salvation. So here, let's talk about his judgment. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into the world so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Those who were with him from the Pharisees heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now that you maintain, we see, your sin remains. So you recognize these familiar verses. These are at the end of John 9, after John has healed the blind man. And the Pharisees were more angry because he healed somebody on the Sabbath rather than rejoicing that a blind man had been healed. And so they were upset because they perceived that the rules had been broken. And so rather than rejoicing, they they hated Jesus and they put the blind man out of the synagogue. And Jesus later found that man and, and said to him, I am the Messiah. And the man said, I believe. And he bowed down and worshiped him. And then Jesus used the man's Blindness as a, as a figure of speech. The, the man had been blind physically and blind spiritually. But as a result of Jesus giving him his physical sight, then the man received spiritual sight, uh, by which I mean that he believed in Jesus uh, and received his salvation. Now, this required an act of the blind man's will. Uh, Jesus had given him enough revelation that he could believe uh, and make his decision. And the blind man chose rightly. And the irony is that the Pharisees who already had physical sight and could see all that Jesus was doing, they were the ones who remained blind spiritually because they, they rejected Jesus and who he said he was. Now, you and I are all born spiritually blind, right? We're all born spiritually blind. And there's only one way to remove spiritual blindness. Jesus talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, enter through the narrow gate that leads to the narrow road that leads to salvation. And so anything other than a conscious decision to enter through the narrow gate is a decision to stay on the broad road that leads to destruction. And so it's very important for us not to put off that decision. We're not promised tomorrow. Once we die, uh, Jesus's offer uh, of salvation expires. Hebrews 9.27 says that it is appointed to man once to die and then comes the judgment. So there is no second chance after we die. So if we put these last two reasons together, uh, to save and to judge, uh, let's, let's look at it like this. Jesus came not to judge the world, but to save it. But if anybody rejects the salvation he offers, well then, yes, uh, that person will be judged. Uh, In fact, God has judged him as well. Uh, Everyone knows John 3.16, but here's what John 3.18 says. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So these are hard truths, but the most important decision anyone will make in their entire lifetimes is who is Jesus? Uh, Who is he? Is he my savior or is he not my savior? And so Jesus uh, wants us to receive him as savior, but he also predicted painful results uh, as a result of the choice that we are each going to be asked to make. And so he talks about that in Luke chapter 12, verse 51 and 52. the result of our choice is going to be division. He said, I came to bring division. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. So we're each responsible for our own decisions. And you may be the only person in your family who believes. That may be true of some of you. And you may have friction or hostility in your family because you're a believer and and, uh, they think that your faith is silly or something like that. But Jesus told us in advance that this would happen so that we would not be surprised, so that we would not be afraid Jesus will bring division in our earthly families because when some believe and others don't, there's going to be tension. Uh, But Jesus promises perfect peace and perfect harmony uh, with your spiritual brothers and sisters, That's those of the faith, for all eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. So we cannot allow fear or intimidation from family members, if they happen to be unbelievers, uh, to keep us out of God's eternal family. So Jesus came to bring division as well, and that's uh, something that just goes along with being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, to wrap this whole discussion up, during this Advent season, now we've talked about 11 different reasons Jesus said he came, plus three bonus reasons for a total of 14 reasons that I count that Jesus said he came. But wait, there's more. (coughs) So here, here are the reasons that Jesus said he came. To seek and save the lost, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, so that we might have life and have it abundantly. He came for this hour, meaning his death on the cross. He came to do the will of the Father, which includes that Jesus lose nothing, that he raise it up on the last day, and that everyone who believes will have eternal life. He came to preach. He came to fulfill the law, to testify to to, to the truth, to save the world, to judge the world, and to bring division. So, how can we put all this into one like, overarching uh, single statement that encapsulates the reasons that Jesus said he came? Well, here's what I came up with, and you might have uh, something that you might uh, say about this, and, and maybe yours will be better than mine. But Jesus came as a humble servant in obedience to the Father's will to save the hopeless and bring joy to the sorrowful by dying on a cross for our sins, fulfilling the law and the prophets, and providing the means for every person to spend eternity in heaven with him. So I think that encapsulates it all. Uh, maybe there's more that could be said, but uh, I said it's a sentence, not a paragraph. So I uh, had to squeeze that in without it being too much of a run on. So back to August 16th, 1999. Uh, I finished installing the ceiling fan. I packed about 10 suitcases and a case of Diet Coke to go to the hospital, because I didn't know how long we were gonna be there. Uh, we broke myriad traffic laws trying to get to the hospital on time while the contractions were about 60 seconds apart and Allie was born a few hours later on August 17th. 1999. And when we brought her home, there was no trace that the ceiling fan had ever been installed. It was up there beautifully in the ceiling and working very well. The job was complete. So I love completed jobs. Now I feel like my job here is complete. Uh, We have put the tools away. The workspace is clean. Uh, I've preached each purpose statement of Jesus that he spoke uh, that I found that Jesus gave. So now the only work for us to do is simply to believe in Jesus Christ, to live out our faith, modeling his life of service and obedience to others and so may we grow stronger more committed to him as we live out his purposes in our lives and so those are the things i want us to have in our minds As now this is the last sunday of 2021 we have to carry this now into 2022 so i wish you happy new year and that you would take these purposes and and make them your own in the new year let's pray lord god we thank you we thank you so much for all that Jesus had to say about the reasons why he said he came, Lord, and, and because he told us so clearly about why he said he came and that he wants us to be his witnesses and ambassadors on earth, Lord, we know what he would have us to do. And so, Lord, I just pray we take these reasons to heart, Lord, and that we're able to incorporate them into our lives, Lord. May the Holy Spirit give us the desire and the drive to fulfill these purposes as best as we can as sinful humans, Lord, that we might bring the lost to you, Lord, and that they might be saved because they have heard the good news. And we ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.